0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns, with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn, you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, I am super pumped to be sitting here and recording another episode for you guys. There's a lot that I want to get stuck into. I feel like there's a lot happening in this world, and um, I'm just constantly, my brain is just buzzing over um, with what's happening. Um, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt, um, but there's Also, a lot of learnings, and I think that pain and that hurt is calling us forward, um, to change stuff because I know I feel like the way things are right now are not great. Like, not every single person can live happily, be themselves, who they authentically and genuinely are, without um the world, you know, showing them hate or mistreatment or prejudice and that is so not okay and i know it's a really powerful out of like out of the gate there's just a lot of energy starting this episode but to be really real that's how i i truly feel right now like and I think because of everything that is happening right now, a lot of people are talking about their own personal experiences and, and how they experience being in this world. And um, it definitely it definitely does make me angry. Um, it makes me angry and it makes me really sad and upset. And I think we all collectively just need to do better and, you know, make sure we actually – Step forward and create the change that we want to see because, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening right now and it's um it's all quite upsetting to be honest. And you know, change is going to be very uncomfortable. And later on this episode, I'll kind of talk about that a little bit more and we'll dig deeper. But um, yeah, things are going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but we kind of have to push through that. Um, to get to a place where we can all show up authentically how we are as a person and feel comfortable and and safe doing so. Um, But before I really get started into this episode, I'd just like to acknowledge the seven lives that were lost in the Georgia shootings. Um, Apologies in advance if I say these names wrong, but um, Soon Chang Park, Sun Kim, Young A Yue, Paul Andre Michels, Hyun Jung Grant, Ji Tan, Dayu Feng, and Delaina Ashley Yuan. Um, I think the whole world has felt the pain on the and the loss of these of these seven lives that are no longer with us and we have to remember these names and we have to make sure that things like this don't happen anymore. We have to protect Asian lives. We have to um, fight against white supremacy and um, we have to make sure that everyone feels safe and comfortable in their identity. Um, And I think it would be wrong if I didn't acknowledge the seven lives before starting this episode, because there's a lot of conversation happening around um, Asian lives and the anti-Asian hate that has been sharply on the rise since COVID last year. And, you know, this the Georgia shootings happened in America but there is very much that same attitude here in New Zealand and it's not something that we should um send our prayers and condolences from afar when we have the same racism and the same hate in our backyards And I'm hoping to get um, one of my friends on here for the next episode so we can dive more into that and she can um, share her story. But I just wanted to acknowledge the seven lives um, before I get started into this episode. Um, May we do better and may we remember and honour by being better, doing better and showing up more and being actively um, anti-racist. And um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, or rather fangirl over, was the movie Cousins. So I saw that um, just yesterday. No, two days ago now. And it felt, it was just so beautiful and heartbreaking. And this sounds really strange, but it, honestly, I could feel like my soul aching, not even my heart, my soul was aching, it was just so beautifully shot, and I think, it just hit you right in the heart, and I walked out of that cinema theatre, just like, bawling, like, puffy eyes, and it felt so strange, because, like, it wasn't even the kind of cry where I'm like, oh, that's so sad, like, it was, coming from the pits of my stomach and again this is going to sound so dramatic and strange but it was like my ancestors were crying with me like it was just so It just spoke to my soul so much and so it's been that movie has just been on my mind since that and I think I might go watch it again actually because um there there was just so much to unpack from that movie but i think definitely everyone in new zealand needs to watch it absolutely i feel like it should be mandatory for everyone to watch that movie um it it's about um three cousins three Mori cousins who had um and how their lives kind of weave in with each other so there are moments where they're together and then there's moments of separation but they're still connected and they kind of come together again towards the very end and you know they are always connected but they're on their own three life trajectories did I say that word correctly and you can see how um their lives have been shaped culturally and politically and, um, you know, what society thought at the time about tangata whenua, about Māori. And um, it was so interesting. I think it was interesting in the sense that, you know, because often when people talk about race or they talk about I don't know, poverty, or they talk about the treaty, like all of these things, these conversations are often had in isolation with each other. Um, but you could see how all of these things were sometimes very obviously in your face, but the undercurrents of all of these things were just shaping how these three cousins went on to live their lives. And um, I think this movie is excellent in humanizing what those horrible systemic wrongs and pains look like in someone's actual life and how it can directly impact them because I think when we talk about these kind of issues unless you know unless you have real life experience with it you will just never know and you will never understand um but movies like this are so excellent in humanizing what these three cousins had to go through and you can most definitely see um how what they've gone through has shaped them into adults and i think this movie also does a wonderful job of humanizing uh, Maori culture um, I think we I mean the today is on the rise, and lots of people more and more are wanting to learn it and get involved with the culture, um, but I feel like there's still a lot of um, uncertainty oh, not uncertainty sorry there's still a lot of misconceptions and i think the way people think they experience the multi culture actually isn't genuine if that makes sense um and so this movie does a really good job of humanizing the multi culture and there are so many elements that just kind of reminded me of my culture and i think that's why i was like it felt like I was crying, but also my ancestors were because, yeah, there were some things that really reminded me of um, my my journey and, and my culture. So I think it did a really good job of, of that. And I think another excellent opportunity from this movie is how we kind of fit in that story as well. I went to watch it um, with my friend and she – Well, both of us don't fuck a papa back to um, Maori heritage, but we went away thinking about our position in this whole story and um, how we, even if we don't want to or not, like there is a system, and we are a part of the system. And moving forward, what can we do to ensure that? we are there for the betterment of Tangata Whenua rather than harm. And it was, yeah, such a good conversation that came out of it afterwards. And um, my friend who I watched it with, we don't directly talk about this stuff like a lot of the time. Um, And we ended up having this wonderful conversation and, I'm really grateful that we had the opportunity to have that conversation. Um, so, very, like, just honestly, everyone should go watch Cousins. Such a beautiful movie. I really, really, um, I just felt it, in the fibre of my being. And, you know, when I was kind of looking around the cinema, there were lots of wet eyes and tears shed. And so I think people really connected with the story and connected with Makareta and Missy and Mata. So, you know, thank you to all that was involved in making this movie a thing, because it's such an important story. And um, I think everyone in New Zealand should watch it. And I am super excited to read the book because it is based on a book originally by um, Patricia grice Uh, which was published in 1992 and um, I'm really excited to read the book but I suspect that now the movie is out everyone everyone has the same kind of thinking Um, (laughs) so I'm gonna wait for the buzz to die down a little bit so I can go read the book but such an important um, story and I think it will hold a very special place in the New Zealand film industry and um, at the beginning of the movie there was um, a mention to I forgot um, I forgot the names but they um, honored three people before the beginning of um, the movie and one of the names I did recognize but unfortunately I can't remember um, off the top of my head right now Um, but she was New Zealand's first indigenous filmmaker and I remember watching her documentary last year and the way she um, the tenacity that she had and the way that she advocated and showed up for her community, the issues that she brought to the forefront of her storytelling, so magical. And I thought it was really fitting that they, um, she was one of the women that they honoured the movie to because Cousins also held a similar space as well. Um, and so, yeah, just absolutely grateful and blessed that I was able to watch that. And I hope everyone... Um, gets a chance to watch cousins as well because it was just so 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 special so special Um, the next thing that i want to talk about was ming fun's apology so our race relations um commissioner he recently um made a statement um about the police and so he apologised for his comments saying that the police um, are racist and he apologised saying that was incorrect. Um, he still maintains that there is systemic racism within New Zealand's police force, um, but apologised on his blanket statement saying that the police are racist. Um, and then he went on to say I shouldn't stereotype before he made his apology Um to the police, um, and uh, Andy Costa who is, ah, oh, the commissioner, sorry, the commissioner of the police, just reading my notes, I was like, oh, where, where are my eyes, have? where have my eyes gone, so Andy Costa who was the commissioner, um, has too admitted that there is systemic racism in the system. Um, but he went on to say, labelling all 14,000 police staff racist isn't accurate and aren't helpful for addressing inequity where it exists. Um, and the Police Association President, Chris Cahill, um, called Fern forward to retract his uh, comments and went on to say, this blanket assertion from Mr. Foon is nothing less than a uh, body blow to the many hard-working police officers, including multi Pacifica, Asian, Indian, Pakistani, and those from other bi- diverse backgrounds who make up the New Zealand police, but have now been lumped in one racist basket. Um, and just interesting side note, I think it's interesting in the statement how he has said Asian, Indian, Pakistani, as if indian and pakistani isn't asian but anyways that's another conversation for another time um and the reason why ming Foon um put out an apology um was because of judith collins comments um so judith was saying um well, Judith has already been in kind of hot water and it's something that I've spoken about on the podcast before when she made some very interesting comments about her Samoan husband um, and her clap back to that was, um, you know, there's just too many far-left people in New Zealand Um, and her response to Ming-Foon saying that police um, are racist she said um she said i think he's just taken back race relations another 10 years and she also went to say people are getting tired of being told how racist they are and she then went on to say the reason is because most New Zealanders are not racist. Most New Zealanders are real decent people and they will give someone a fair go. And she then went on to say uh, New Zealand is actually one of the least racist countries in the world. Um, and when it comes to racism, she pointed out that there's an inconsistency when it comes to calling racists out. Um wow and then she went on to say i think of the way my husband has been treated by some sections particularly the far left of new zealand with very racist comments over the years um she said that those who have made those comments think it's okay because he's a national party supporter and uh she then went on to say i just think Stop talking about racism all the time. And get on and think about how we make this country. Much better economically. Um, and then she called people out. Um, for over analysing ourselves. So we never get to a point. Where anything gets done. Um, which there is. A lot to unpack here. So. The fact that Ming Foon said, you know, the police are racist. I can absolutely appreciate why people are upset about that. Because that is lumping a huge group of people together in one group. And that's not fair. It's not cool when the majority does that to the minority. So that shouldn't have happened in this case. I can understand where he was coming from when he said that he should have specifically meant the system as opposed to like the people behind the system because those are two different things sometimes sometimes they go together the people in the system but sometimes they're two different things and i'm sure there are people who get into that job um wanting to make it the system a safer place for their communities um but i am kind of sitting on the fence about whether or not he should have apologized in the manner that he did because now i feel like he has taken the power away from his true meaning so his true meaning was to say that the system is racist the system doesn't serve everyone it doesn't treat everyone the same um there are prejudices in the way and in policing Um, but now that's not what people are going to take away when they think about um the race relations commission or ming fun what they're going to think about is this man who has called out um a system called out a whole group of people for no good reason Um, and that then takes away the power from what his true intention was going to be. I cannot think of another alternative, um, that he could have thought of. Um, yeah, so it's just, yeah, interesting to me, um, and another thing that I kind of want to unpack from this is the use of the word racist. Um, it's something that I have spoken about on the show before, but it's so interesting because whenever I do bring it up, um, or whenever I see it brought up in other contexts, I'm like, oh, wow, we still really need to have this conversation. Um, the word racist is very emotionally loaded, right? To call someone a racist or a group of people racist Is very uncomfortable, and people are like, Whoa, that's a big call! and people hate to be called racist and will use whatever excuse to kind of remove themselves from that word. Um, even if they it doesn't like matter if they're if they are racist or not, but um, people just want to stay the heck away from um that word but we need to let go of that thinking i think because it's not getting us anywhere productive the word racist i think we need to not associate not associate sorry it's too That person, but their behavior instead, because I wouldn't want anyone to feel bad, but we also cannot allow the behavior that we're seeing, the systems that we're seeing, to just keep on existing because things things really do need to change. Um, and so I think we should reframe the way that we look at the word racist and think about it as not attached to you as a person, um, not to do with anyone's worth, not to do with anyone's... Um, not to do with anyone's moral values or compass but more to do with their actions. I think no one is inherently racist, but it's just a like how you think about this world is a product of how you've been brought up um, and how you engage with the world currently. But it doesn't mean that's fixed. That can change. So if we want to see change in our world, then we need to not get so emotional about that word in the sense that it's describing who we are as a person. It's not. It's just your actions and your behaviors, but that can change. And that is not your core, true essential being. Um, but people still get emotional about it. And um, you can see that in how, how people have responded to Ming Fun's comments. And um, another thing that I kind of want to unpack is Judith's comments. So Judith, has kind of associated the far left with um, being people who just constantly complain about seeing racism everywhere and how that's actually unproductive to the work that needs to be done. Um, and how she also made the comment that most New Zealanders aren't racist and they're really decent people. And statements like that are quite harmful because they minimalise um and reduce the stories that do occur, um, in, in New Zealand. I mean, not everyone experiences this country the same way everyone in this country does. Like me as a Black Muslim woman, I will experience this country in a different way to someone who is male Pakiha. and there is like racism and discrimination is plays a role in that. And to say that you know most New Zealanders aren't racist kind of takes away from the challenges that marginalized communities do face, and. Again, what I was saying with the word racist before, it's not to do with the specific people and their moral compass, it's to do with, you know, the colonialism that our systems are built on, which now serve the majority and put marginalized communities um, out of reach and consistently at the back. And it's the attitudes that um, surround those systems as well, which people if they're not aware of the harms then or they're not aware of their behaviors of course going to soak up the attitudes that surround same said systems so I don't think the far left are just barking about nothing Judith and it's not distracting from the proper work that needs to be done economically it's something that's very real very serious and i think you know before march the 15th would have been really easy to sweep this whole conversation under the carpet but 51 lives were lost because we racism is very much alive in our country um and that's not saying that most people in this country are racists it's saying that we have a real problem and it's something that we need to change and that means sitting through that uncomfortable feeling and getting on with what needs to be done um so i just wanted to make a post oh sorry yeah pay people's attention to what's been going on because i think from the surface level it's like oh ming Foon has said something really horrible blanket statement not great, calling everyone racist. We're not a bad country. Um, Oh, good. He's apologized. Thank goodness, because we're not that racist. Where did he even get that from? But if you take a second to kind of think about the conversations that are happening around that, I think we can understand that there's a lot of ignorance. Um, There's a lot of ignorance around how we use the word racist. Um, There's a lot of ignorance around racism not even being that big of a deal um, because it is. Um, Just talk to anyone from any marginalized community and you will very much know. Um, So, yeah, that's something that I picked up on. And it was actually really interesting reading the um, comments section um, because there was a lot of that oh, Mink Foon, he is so horrible, he doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, um, blah, blah, he's the racist one. I think I saw one comment saying he's the racist one. Um, and I think just looking at the comment section just goes to show there's a like, very big missed opportunity um, to have those conversations that are begging to be had and lying under the surface of this media sensationalized conversation that's been been put out um another thing that i want to talk about sorry we're going in like all sorts of directions um but every single time i sit down and record an episode of this potty it's always inspired by what's happening in um what i've picked up in my own real life and what i'm thinking about Um, So this is very, like, this show is very, very personal to me because it's literally what's happening in my world. Um, And so a lot has happened recently. So we're kind of going all sorts of directions. Um, And what I wanted to talk about was the Declaration of Independence and the Treaty of Waitangi. And um, some of the stuff that I might say, some of you guys tuning in might be like, oh, this is stuff that I already know. But as someone who has lived in New Zealand since two and gone through the education system and to know very little about um, the Declaration of Independence, which I didn't know about until most recently, um, I think says a lot, right? Um, So I'm studying law this year and um, it's my first year, so baby um, baby law student. And at the moment, or for the past week and a half, two weeks, we've been looking at um, the history of New Zealand and specifically the Declaration of Independence and the Treaty of Waitangi and I I didn't choose New Zealand history in year 13. Um, I'm now wishing that I did but I but like prior to year 13 my knowledge and the way the treaty was taught was just so lacklustre like a lot of the stuff that I've been reading about and learning about the past two weeks um I wish I knew more about beforehand and I feel like now that I know what I know my eyes have just been opened even more to the injustice of of it all and Man, there have been so many wrongs done over the treaty. And we can see the effects of um, those wrongs to this day. And it seems like it's taking very, very long and slow time um, to, yeah, very long and slow time to kind of correct those wrongs. So which blows my mind because I'm just like, what are we going to do next? What needs to happen to, to make sure we don't repeat the same mistakes of history? Um, like I very much feel this sense of urgency right now. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting carried away now. Um, now that I've, and this is only just the beginning for me, by the way, like it's only been two weeks and so much more that I could learn. Um, but learning a lot more has kind of presents me to the fact that this is why New Zealand is where it is right now. Like learning about what's happened in the past still feels alive and still feels very current because it is, and that's something that I've actually learned recently because I'm also um, studying Pacific studies and um, my lecturer made this really interesting um, really interesting um, point about history and how like stories and voices and discourses, there's there's a lot out there. And it's usually the the loudest, the most privileged that gets heard or has uh, the ability to write history, to present history in a particular way or to present the story in a particular way. Um, but history is not something that's happened in the past um, because happening in the past has this connotation that it's – Um, something that we can disconnect ourselves from and something that has, um, already happened and we just need to move on, but actually the, the past is something that's happened in the past, but history is something that we carry with us always. History is current, history is alive, history is something that we carry with us always And I definitely felt that, especially the last two weeks, um, and it's been giving me a lot of food for thought around, um, okay, well, now that I have this knowledge and I'm I'm carrying this history, like, you know, what's the next step and how do I honor this, this history that I'm carrying around with me now and i wish we all had the chance to kind of learn about the treaty and to learn about the declaration of independence in a way where we all came away with the similar thought process of oh i'm carrying around this history how do i honor it and look after it and treasure it in a way where the future is better because of it um if that makes sense, I feel like I'm just impassionately rambling on about history. But I think that distinction, I was like, wow, this really resonates with me and something that I will, yeah, hold on to for the rest of my life. To be honest, that sounds very dramatic, but I love that distinction between history and um, the past. So to recap kinda of what I've been learning over the past two weeks. So before the Treaty of Waitaki there was the Declaration of Independence. So Hefaka putanga or te Ranga teratanga or nu terani. I've really I really hope I said that correctly. I feel like I said the last word incorrect. But if you're tuning in and I've said it wrong, please let me know because I would I would love to learn and not do that again. So um 13 Rangatera, so 13 Nāpuhi chiefs, wrote to King William the... What's Ivy? The fifth? The fourth? The fifth or the sixth? I'm actually not too sure. My Roman numeral knowledge is not great. Um, but anyways, they wrote to him to seek an alliance and protection from other powers. And then in 1835, James um, Busby... Um, called a uh, hui at Waitangi. And then at by the end of that hui, there were 34, 34 sorry, Rangatera who had signed He fakaputanga o Te Rangatera Tanga o Nu Um, And in English, this is known as the Declaration of Independence of the United Tribes of New Zealand. Um, and so the there were two versions of the declaration. Um, so there was the English version and the Te rau Māori version of He um and it had four articles. And those four articles um, asserted the sovereign power and authority in the land um, lay with the confederation of United Tribes. So Te mening, oh, Meninga my goodness, I really need to learn and do better, sorry, Um, and that no foreigners could make laws. And um, the Confederation of United Tribes was to meet at Waitangi to frame the laws and in return um, for their protection of British subjects in their um, territory – Um, they sought King William's protection against threats to their mana. And um, they also thanked the king for acknowledging the flag. And the flag was really, really important because the flag now meant um, they could trade because ships back then um, were not acknowledged unless they had a flag. Um, So the flag was a really big deal for trade and commerce. And, um, the chief, so the chief signed hefakaputanga and the king acknowledged it um, and over a couple of years there were more um, rangatira who signed hefaka putanga and this is where it gets really really interesting because I think on both sides there are different motivations for signing he um for hefaka so from the British side hefaka um was kind of in Busby's eyes was New Zealand's uh, was British's first step to make New Zealand British land, um, which is very sneaky. And then Maori's intentions for signing Hifaka was to safeguard their their ways and their people and their land. Um, but to kind of formalise this relationship um, with the Europeans. And um, so this document is really, really important because if we didn't have and then there probably wouldn't have been... A treaty and the reason why the treaty came about was it got to the point where um, it got to the point where um, settlers were causing a lot of trouble so um, missionary or oh, not missionary sorry whalers would come and because it wasn't their own land the lack of respect Um, there'd be a lot of damages and trouble caused and it got to the point where, um, rangatira were just like, like, basically we don't know what to do. Um, you know, the king needs to take control, um, of their own peoples. So that was the motivation, um, for the rangatira reaching out and, um, then somehow, at the Hui, the, f- the four articles of the treaty came about, so, and this is where things get really, really um, sneaky, because there, of course, there are the two versions, the English version, and the Te Reo Māori version, and um, in the Te Reo Māori version, the translations are not the best and so what Mori thought they were signing is actually not what they signed and what was said in the hui's um, was not considered to be legit enough um, because the British did not recognize the value of what was being said in the in the Hui, right? So Māori came to gain the understanding of what they thought the treaty was going to be through those Hui's, but that is not what they signed and the English version of the treaty was enacted, not the Māori version. And so, and it's a shame because this treaty would have, probably not existed without He Whakaputanga. um, um kind of was the first document that, you know, gave a united sense f- um, for all of rangatira across the country. Um, there was a flag, there was um, a movement and the Kingitanga um, movement came afterwards and I think could, Putanga gave um, a document to for Mori to then manage their own affairs um, in a way that works for Mori but also under the British way of thinking and valuing things as well. Um, and so the principles of the treaty are not legally enforceable as we have learnt in the cases that we have been um, studying. But um, it doesn't mean that we should ignore history and ignore how it currently affects our present state and think about ways that we can, move on and and honor the treaty and not move on in a way where it's like ignoring what's happened in the past but again that sense of carrying history with us and um learning how to honor the treaty and now that i've really understood what has happened in the past and it's something that i actually want to commit to learning about more because i've only just kind of dipped my Toes into the pool, um, but now that I've started that journey, I'm. I think the I'm going to be a lot more aware of how I'm currently carrying this history, and I feel like as a country we don't feel that sense of carrying the history, and I think one of the reasons is because we're not really taught about it properly at school, and. Um, it's not just me reflecting on how things have been for me, but I'm just thinking about um, just whenever I have told someone, hey, look, I learned about her Everyone's just like, well, most people have been like, I've never heard of that before. And I'm like, well, okay, well, sit down and let me tell you. Um, But I think if we change the way that we taught our young people about our past maybe we will all learn to carry history differently with us um and i'm more hopeful that if we all had a sense of how we carry our history then the future will look a little bit brighter and and better for everyone so i suppose that was my my big learning from the past two weeks just how do we carry this history um especially when you know what happened in the past was just so so horrible like it was honestly just heartbreaking reading the cases and the injustice of it all so clear and apparent and obvious um but because the treaty isn't a legally um what's the word enforceable document the best that can be done is like just honouring the principles of the treaty and factoring that into the thought process behind cases, but it's not something that's automatically there. And even the, the cases where um, the treaty and how it's used in the, the courts and parliament is um, challenged, the change is just, so slow and happening at a rate where it's like wow how are we going to get to a position where we do things differently um and my lecturer made a good point or I suppose a point I'm not sure if it's good or bad whatever um he made a point where even though things like this take a really long time once things are settled and the outcome the or hopefully the proper or correct outcome is settled on it will be like that that will be like our new normal that will be our new reference um and if that does become our new normal and our new reference then i think we are carrying we are aware of how we're carrying history more so um yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive, dive even deeper into my treaty journey as someone of Tangata Tiriti. How am I going to honour the treaty? Um, and I hope to have people who are more knowledgeable in this area um, to come onto the show and kind of share their perspective and their stories and the way they see um, carrying history. Um and just coming up to the last couple of minutes of this party, I just want to present people to the fact that it's going to be Ramadan soon, woohoo! Um, so, yeah, last year was kind of fun having my weekly Ramadan updates, and I. I actually cannot believe that it's coming up so quickly this year. So Ramadan is the month of fasting for um, Muslim people all over the world. Um, Ramadan is based on the Islamic calendar, which is a lunar one. Um, So every single year, the start date of Ramadan moves forward every single two weeks. Um, So it won't always be at this time of the year for Muslims. It will be really interesting in several years' time when we kind of get to Ramadans in summer again. Um, Because, of course, those are longer fasting days. Um, At the moment, we'll probably be doing um, like 12 hours, which is not too bad. Um, It's so funny because outside of Ramadan times, I'm like, if it's more than, what, four hours that I haven't eaten... No, probably even less than four hours most of the time to be honest. Um, but if I haven't eaten in a couple of hours time, I'm literally just like, Oh my god, I'm starving. Like I cannot focus on my work. I need food in my stomach now. Um, but when it comes to Ramadan, because I'm I really understand the why and the purpose and it's something that I live and breathe. I'm like, I can fast for hours and hours on end and it's fine. Like fasting during the winter months. I'm like, Oh, that was, that was too short. I cannot believe that we're eating again. Um, so it's a really special time for us Muslims and I'm super, super excited because this year, inshallah. Um, so inshallah means God willing, we can pray together in person and we can, we can go to the mosque because of course this time last year, we were in lockdown and it's something, I think it was a year ago this week. um, Sorry, last week that we were in lockdown and I completely kind of forgot about it until someone presents me to that fact. And I was like, Oh my goodness, it was a year ago. And this time last year, the world was such a scary, strange place to navigate and I think all of us were just like, well, what do we do next? Um, there was a lot of uncertainty and fear and and panic and it was just so strange. I mean, for us in New Zealand, we were lucky because it was only those six weeks and of course there have been times we've had to move between the levels since then, of course. Um, but we pretty lucky and privileged that it was only six weeks and to think that you know a year later we've gone back to normal and we can go to festivals and we can go to concerts and it's totally fine um and for the rest of the world they're still really cautious and people are still staying in their house and it's just so interesting but um Anyways, I've gone on a tangent again. I'm really excited that this year for Ramadan we actually get to go to the mosque um, and pray together, be with each other um, and celebrate Ramadan and its learnings and its teachings together. So I'm I'm super excited for Ramadan this year. Um, and I haven't sat down and thought about what I want to get out of this year, this year's Ramadan just yet. Um, but I'm more than happy to kind of share my learnings and my reflections um, from Ramadan during the month. So Ramadan is expected to start on the 12th or 13th of April. Um, it all depends on when the moon sighting is because as I was saying before, Ramadan is based on... Um, the lunar calendar um but i'm excited to fast and kind of spiritually detox myself and um lean into more into my religion because unfortunately outside of ramadan i'm not very consistent with my prayers and i think i used like real life as an excuse a lot of the time um, but during ramadan i'm like i wish i was more like this um, outside of Ramadan so I'm excited to lean into it and as I wrap wrap up this episode I encourage everyone to go watch Cousins it's a must do I encourage everyone to read more into the treaty if you guys don't know a lot about it and have a kaputanga and kind of reflect on how you are carrying this history currently how you want to carry this history Um, and when things like the news sensationalized Ming Foon's apology, challenge yourself to have the conversations that are begging to be had under the skin about it. Um, thank you for tuning into this episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns and catch you for the next one. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com.